This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to Buckets. My guest today is a writer for the New York Times and a Boston Celtics fan for some reason. Please welcome to the show, Sopan Deb. You're getting bucket buckets. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This is one of the few times I don't, I'm not in the same room as you, but we're hoping the technology is so wireless, so seamless that nobody even notices. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. 28 years. <laughs> Where are you right now? I am, uh, I, I wish I, I I could tell you a much more exotic location, uh, you know, like the newsroomers. I'm, I'm, I'm actually literally in my home right now, like in my bed. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. That's very 2018. All right, but give me like a fake exotic location. Like I am, I am in Italy on the Amalfi Coast. Oh, that's cool. Sipping some wine, thinking about <laughs> basketball, thinking about what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna say to you. Right it's now. you and Mello, right? You're just yeah. chilling out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're fielding calls, waiting for his next move. Right. I am now Carmelo Anthony's agent. Oh my God, is that a good job to have or a bad job to have right now? Uh, it's a bad job. Got it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and he's doing I mean, a bad job. Got, you, it's a bad job. I mean, you got, you just got cut. 10 games in by a championship contender. How, yeah. Where do you go from there? What's the selling point? I Where guess do you... if you're already in Italy, just take another five-hour flight to Shanghai. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And he would score like 50 points a game in Shanghai. Yeah, oh, at least. If Jimmer can get 70. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, right, you're right. More like 80 <laughs> points. Yeah. He could be the Will Chamberlain of China. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I like to start every episode with a warm-up just to get our brains going into b-ball mode because, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, but we have to focus our energy, our effort, our mental capacity right now. So I'm going to give you something that hopefully you're pretty good at. It's Boston Celtics-themed. It's a, yeah. it's a Celtics-themed warm-up. All right, I'm going to put you in a time and place. The The year is 2013, okay? Okay. The Boston Big Threes moved on. They're playing for Brooklyn. The rebuild begins in Boston. Brad Stevens coaches this team to a 25-57 and 57 record. There are 19 uh, human bodies that have put on a Celtics jersey this year, 2013-2014. 19 Celtics. On the, on the team this season. I'm looking for, let's see if you can name 10 of these guys. These are the beginnings Ed. of the rebuild. The, the, 2013. Yeah, you All might right, have so... blacked this season out in your head. So <laughs> I mean, try to, try to go through the files of your mind and try to dust right. off some I'm bins. Gonna, I'm going to give it a shot, though. Okay, um, okay. Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace is correct. <laughs> Good work. Uh, Keith Bogans. Is Bogans on the team? He is. Two for two. Uh, Chris Humphreys. <laughs> three for three, you're killing it. Uh, um, is Marcus Smart drafted at this point? I don't think so. Marcus Smart is not on the team yet. I think he okay. joins next year. Uh, Jordan Crawford. Oh, yes, sir. That's four Celtics up, four down. Uh, Rondo's on this team, right? That's, that's right. Current LA Laker, Ray John Rondo. Uh, oh, my gosh. I, I, um, There's see. some great names here. <laughs> I don't doubt. Oh, uh, James Young is James Young on this team? He's not on this team. Uh, I will say I'll give you a hint. Uh, you know when they got traded, those uh, that KG and Paul Pierce got traded to Brooklyn, they had to take some players back. Right? Is uh, isn't it, is it Chris Humphreys, Gerald Wallace, and um... and one more? Oh my goodness! Oh, Jason. Nope, Jason Terry went in the deal, so it wouldn't be him. <laughs> right? Um... Initials MB. MB synapses in your brain that haven't fired in five years you're gonna tell me and i'm gonna be like ah oh, who, who was it marshawn brooks oh man <laughs> and there was That's another right. great 
Another great sixth man who became a starter after those guys left. Recently traded to Detroit. Oh, Avery Bradley's on that team. That's, That's right. right. Third year. That's right. I forgot Avery Bradley was on that team. Right. Some, some uh, other great names are Joel Anthony. Oh, wow. <laughs> Brandon Bass. Uh, I was going to guess Bass. I thought he would have been gone. After yeah. Before, Jared, yeah. Jared Bayless is on this team. Yeah. Keep Jared Bayless, who actually, one of the rare missteps of the Ainge era is that Ainge traded Courtney Lee for Jared Bayless. Wow. If I recall correctly. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. Even if you're wrong, nobody would know. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> don't nobody fact check that, but I'm pretty sure that I, I'm pretty sure that is true. Rookie Kelly Olinick is on this team. Wow, and is Sollinger on that team too? Mm. Good call. Another another starter for this team. Jared Sollinger is on the team. We got Phil Pressey. We got um Jeff Green. Wow, Jeff Green. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and another ex Laker, Vander Blue, is on this list. Uh, you know what? I, I'm one of the biggest Celtics fans in the world, and I've never could not tell you the first thing about Vander Blue. <laughs> it's because he's got the wrong me. last name for last name. Vander Jeff yeah. Green, you remember. <laughs> Vander Blue, you don't. Right, right. That's exactly right. Uh, um, all right, all right. Now we're in the mode. Now we're feeling good, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a little different now. Uh, so I wanted to talk just firstly introducing you because I first followed you on Twitter. During the whole Trump campaign, you were following Trump around during his uh, presidential bid. Um, but I'm not really sure what got you there, uh, yeah. what you were doing there, and then what you've done since. So if like you have like a two to four yeah. minute version of that whole story, just to catch not only myself, but the listeners up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, when I went to college initially, it was to become a sportscaster. So oh, my wow. initial whole life's goal was to go be a sports reporter, be the next Bob Costas, Mike Breen, you know, Michael Kay. You know, I wanted to be those guys. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, I actually did play-by-play very briefly for BU. I went to Boston University, and I did play-by-play for BU's men's hockey team, actually, um, the year they won the championship. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, I and I was terrible at it. I mean, I knew, knew nothing about the sport. I, you know, which which like doesn't stop some announcers, but I was particularly bad at it. And then, <laughs> um, and then from there, I, you know, I started. You know, my first job was at the Boston Globe. I was doing documentary production for them. And then from there, I was a producer for NBC uh, um, for a show called uh, Rock Center with Brian Williams. And then uh, from there, I basically was a bunch of bouncing on TV networks. And then I, when I got to CBS and 2015 i you know there's an opportunity to go cover the campaign and i had never covered politics before and it seemed like an interesting opportunity to go around the country to be a campaign embed um i interviewed well i would go into the writing test and all the stuff and i became a campaign embed and they assigned me four candidates to cover they were uh, marco rubio lindsey graham Rand paul they're like well you're gonna be so busy with those three we're gonna give you one more and here's a guy that's <laughs> probably not even gonna run uh donald trump and i was like ugh. I'll never have to think about that guy. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, and then within like a month or two of the uh, of really the campaigns getting to full force, I was on the road full time. I was on the road for about a year and a half, uh, full time with Trump, living out of my suitcase. Um, you know, went to more than forty states with them, hundreds of rallies. Uh, it, it was a lot of. It was uh, it was exhausting. I, I will just put it like that. Uh, and then after the campaign, I was exhausted, and um, the times. And I talked about me going to write about culture for them. And I'm also a comedian, so you know I perform fairly often. And so when you cover politics, that's your life. You can't really do anything else. Yeah. Whereas uh, now this job allows me to engage the other sides of myself. So I get to, you know, 
I perform. I also write about comedy. I write about film and theater. I write about pretty much all the other things that I'm interested in and, and sports. You know, I, I also like contribute occasionally to the sports, um, the time sports section about basketball. So, uh, and so that's pretty much kind of the too long, didn't read version of my, uh, <laughs> of my, of my life. I like it. I don't want to get too into the Trump thing of it all because this is after all a basketball podcast. But you talk about how exhausting the campaign trail was. And that's one of the things that surprises me about Trump that still surprises me. I'm like, I feel like this guy should have a cold more often. I feel like I should see Trump just under the weather and sneezing. Because like as exhausting as it was for you, it was tenfold exhausting for him. He's like a 72-year-old un- unwell man. Why doesn't he – have you ever – did you notice him sneezing more? Did he, did he hide it on camera? Is that why he doesn't have the sniffles 24-7? Well, remember that, yes, uh, so for the first six months to a year of the campaign, he wasn't campaigning that much. He was going out, whereas other, you know, Ted Cruz was doing like seven rallies in one day in Iowa. (laughs) Trump would do like one big rally at a basketball arena a week. And so it was a little different in that respect. Secondly, and what the exhaustion also comes from, not just when you're covering a campaign, you're not just covering the candidate, right? You're also covering... What the, what the aides are saying. So, for example, you're waking up at 6 a.m. and seeing what he's tweeted, okay? Yeah. And then maybe you go to a, a noon rally. And then you're spending the rest of the day just making sure you're keeping track of his tweets, you're keeping track of everything else. And then 9 p.m., you got to watch Hannity to see who, you know, see if Kellyanne Conway is going on Hannity. And you got to see if, um, you know, Corey Lewandowski is going on Chris Cuomo's show. So got you gotta it. keep track of all that, too. So you're so working harder to, than Donald. Uh, I would say, I would say, uh, that's correct. Thank you for thank you for saying that. So I didn't have to. Even still, uh, no. I, I you know, <laughs> uh, look, it's um, I, you're you're just you're just on all the time, and yeah. the exhaustion the exhausting part is not the physical part of it, which is exhausting in itself because you're on the road for so long. The exhausting part is how much you're plugged in, so you can't go you can't go to the gym, you can't go take in a movie. You yeah. can't be away from your phone for more like five, ten minutes. You're always plugged in. It's like the it's NBA the free agency thing. day. It's like July 1st, but 365 yeah. days a year. July 1st, midnight, you are not taking me away from my phone because I need to see <laughs> I need to see exactly how much who's what expensive veteran is getting the vet minimum. You know, I need to see that. <laughs> Does Trump know your name? He hate tweeted me uh, a couple times. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he actually, uh, the funny thing about the tweet at me, so if I recall correctly, he said that I was third rate dishonest and said I should be fired for incompetence. But the, <laughs> That's a high praise from him. Uh, well, the, this is one of the weird things about the era we're in now is that when that happened, a whole bunch of people like congratulated me as if like a Trump tweet is now the new Pulitzer. Yeah. And it's like weird. But uh, so he actually tweeted, at first he tweeted, Deb Sopan, which is not my name. <laughs> of course. And then he was angry enough about whatever he was angry about that he sent a second tweet with my correct handle on it just to make sure I saw it. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, – and, and also I, I was napping when it happened. I told you you so, can't sleep. I know. So it was like a busy – it was a busy week or something. So I had two free hours. So I just conked out for a couple of hours thinking what could happen in these two hours <laughs> in the middle of the day on a weekday. And – and I w- now think about what your phone notifications are like when the when when Donald Trump has tweeted at you. Yeah, my God. And so and two hours later, and that's when I first saw it. And <laughs> and and 
And I was just, and I'm groggy and I'm awake from a nap and I'm like, what is going, oh no. Oh dear. And that's, and that's how I found out. Uh, all right, moving along. Uh, take me to the beginning. Um, you're roughly my same age, so you sort of missed the whole Lakers-Celtics 80s barrage, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so what's your earliest Celtics memory? Are you a fan as a child or is it a more yeah. recent development? Uh, I, my first year being a fan was the one of the worst years they ever had. ML Carr was the coach. Great. And then my early, my in the early years of being a fan, yeah, and there was this guy. They had this guy, Dino Raja. Oh, of course. Who's now a Hall of Famer, by the way. That's right, Croatian um, sensation. Yes, that's right. And Dino Raja was one of my favorite players. There's something about him that I absolutely loved. Probably the name. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and then so on NBA Jam, my duo was always D Brown and Dana Barrows. And or D Brown and Dino Raja. Oh yeah, those guys and, were buckets. Speaking of yeah, buckets, right. those guys were just easy yeah. money from the corner three on NBA yes, Jam. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. And then Antoine Walker became my favorite player. Employee number there's eight. Employee number eight. I, I loved. I love. There's something I loved about you know the six eight guy who could pass kind of like Michael uh, Magic Johnson, and he could post up, and he could shoot the three. He could dance like uh, Mark Jackson. He could dance like Mark Jackson, uh, and he's you know he's yelling on the court and you know blah 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 blah. And uh, I just think I loved about him. Uh, and so yeah, so when I was I was that first year where that ML Carr year where they won like fifteen games. In fact, I think one of those wins though was a comeback win against the Bulls. I don't know that for sure against like the Bulls, like prime Michael Jordan Bulls, but I don't remember that for sure. But uh, yeah, that was my early memory of becoming a Celtics fan. Got it. What's your uh, happiest Celtics memory? You're, this is, you're jumping for joy. Un- yeah. You can't believe how happy this team of players you don't personally know is, is making you. Uh, game three, 2001 Eastern Conference Finals. Is that the comeback against uh, the Nets? That's the comeback against the Nets. A lot of Celtics uh, fans love that game. Yeah, that is. But I had a better experience. As a fan, as a fan, I've had two years that are that, that rank the best. That year, because the context of that year is that um, Jim O'Brien was the coach. Paul Pierce is just becoming Paul Pierce, top 10 player Paul Pierce. The truth. But, and no one expected the Celtics to even make the playoffs that year. No one even expected that. So they totally trumped expectations. I think they finished third in the East that year. Jesus. No one expected that to happen. That- and then they won the first round against the Sixers, the Allen Iverson Sixers. Now, this is, of course, when the Eastern Conference is really bad. I mean, really bad. <laughs> like I last mean, year bad. Like the third, <laughs> the third best player on that Celtics team was Eric Williams, who I think averaged nine points a game. So it like, was that's all, how bad. It was all yeah. Walker and Pierce. It was all Walker and Pierce. Um, and actually, that year they traded Joe Johnson away for uh, Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers. Wow! Like that's, yeah, and one of the worst trades in franchise history. Rodney anyway, Rogers, R.I.P. Uh, it, did he actually pass away? I think he's just paralyzed. I, think, I may be wrong about that. Yeah. Okay. Another thing you guys can look up later. Right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. So that was the single my my favorite year of following the team all leading up to that comeback. Now, they end up losing that series. Uh, that they, they somehow lose that series, even though they probably should have beat the Nets that year. But in Game 6, now I'm young, and when you're young, when you're like a kid, sports mean everything, if yeah. you're a sports fan. 
Yeah, you get really upset, you get really high about things, you're really low. And when the Celtics lost, I like punched a wall. Wow. And it was my own, you know, that's how upset I was about not getting to see Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce swept out of the finals by the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. So is that, like, <laughs> so is that your yeah. saddest? Is that your saddest yeah. Celtics memory right yeah. after the happiest? <laughs> right. right. And then um, my second favorite memory was last year's team because, again, it's a man- matter of expectations, right? As a fan, like when you are a fan, and you're like, it's, it's to me, it's not fun to be a Warriors fan right now because the best they can do is match your expectations. That's right. Right? The only other option is, is a calamity, a huge disappointment. That's Whereas right. Whereas last year, every game the Celtics won felt like a game they weren't supposed to win. You know, because they not only lost Hayward, they lose Kyrie later in the year. Their best offensive player is, you know, a 19, 20-year-old named Jason Tatum. Uh, you know, they they then they lose Daniel Tice. Marcus Smart's punching picture frames in hotel rooms. He's out for a month. <laughs> you know, like every game they won, they were not supposed to win. And every playoff series, they somehow they're up. I think they were up in the fourth quarter in the game seven against the Cavs. And yes, it was a disappointing loss, but they weren't supposed to be there. Interesting. Um, I like your idea of fandom being dictated by how you're doing against expectations. So you basically, it's not about your point on the graph. It's how it's like the area underneath the curve. It's how, how much you're outperforming what you thought you would or underperforming what you thought you would. For example, this year it is much it is a much better fan experience to be a Kings fan than it is to be a Warriors fan. Every Kings fan right now is having a better time watching their team than a Warriors fan is. Yes. And, and, I, and I'm generalizing here, of course. I yeah. Know. But but you know, if you're every time the Kings are competitive in a game, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, they were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league, and they still very well might end up being that. That's right. Um, but. Every game the Kings win is like, whoa, that was not supposed to happen. Aaron Fox is not supposed to be playing like that. Yes. Buddy is not supposed to be shooting like that. No. <laughs> it's funny. You talk about like uh, a Kings fan versus Warriors fan. You can almost like extrapolate that out to the entire West. Like every team in the West is within two losses of each other, but Clippers fans are elated because they're outperforming expectations. Uh, Utah yeah. fans are devastated because they're underperforming expectations. Uh, and like, what. What team with Tobias Harris as their best player, you know, do you expect to do well in a superior conference? I mean, you just don't. It's and it's just it's just ridiculous. So yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're um, talking about like let's instead of talking about who's the happiest at the end because we know it'll be Warriors fans. Why don't we quantify fandom by gross happiness throughout the year? Who was the happiest fan base last year? Uh, if not the Warriors because they were expected to win. It might have been Celtics Easy, fans. Easily the Celtics fans. And, and for, for a couple of reasons. One, you know they're getting Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving back in, yep. in the fall. Okay, so you saw the leap that Jalen Brown took last year. So you're assuming that Jason Tatum takes a similar leap this year. Yeah. Okay. You know they have a, a draft pick. But they could potentially have four draft picks in the next round. Including with, Sacramento's. Uh, Sacramento's, which is top one protected. You know Sacramento's <laughs> going to be bad. Yeah. Okay, in theory. This is this is like what we're all thinking about in June. Yeah. You you can potentially have the Memphis pick, which is top eight protected, I think. Yeah. You could have the Clippers pick if they make the playoffs, which is unlikely, but again, who knows? Yep. But this this is all in our in our mentality last summer. And you have your own pick. So you not only have Kyrie and Hayward coming back, you have Tice coming back, and you have 
if all else fails, you could rebuild like a lottery team would with four picks in the next draft. And LeBron's so, leaving. And LeBron's leaving the East, right. So to me, there's just no... I mean, what other team had a brighter future, long-term and short-term, than the Celtics in that moment? I, I just don't know. Yeah. Do you love having Danny Ainge on your side? Is there a little existential dread knowing that he can trade your favorite player for one that's just one slot better in his power rankings? Are you afraid to have him as a general manager? What are your thoughts on that? Um, Danny Ainge, as soon as he became, uh, started doing, um, as an exec for the Celtics, one of his first moves was to trade away Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker was my guy. Who'd they get for him? They traded him, if I recall correctly, to Dallas for Rafe LaFrance, I think a draft pick, and... I don't remember who else was in that deal. I don't mm. think it was anybody notable. It was really just to get rid of the contract and yeah. rebuild and get more pieces. Yeah. Um, and I, that Dallas pick might have turned into Rondo somehow, or so there was some. So we traded for Rondo somehow. Anyway, um, all that is all that is to say, uh, no. I you know I was I was genuinely bummed when Ainge traded away Isaiah Thomas, and but I get it. You know what I mean? I get it. But what it further reinforces for me as a fan, when, you're, when I was growing up, I used to always get on players who wanted more money, who want bigger extensions, who would hold out for more money, and who would demand trades and you know, would hold out during training camp, et cetera, et cetera. And now I, I'm like, I get it. You are, you know, this is a business. Yeah. And you are, you are a commodity to yeah. these higher that's what you are. And if they find a better return on an investment, they're going to take it. But um, like, honestly, if I woke up tomorrow and Danny Ainge traded Gordon Hayward, you know, I would not be shocked. No. I honestly would not be. <laughs> <laughs> um, to him, they're all employee it, number whatever. Right. And does it make it as fun to follow the team? You're rooting for laundry. No, it doesn't make it as fun. Of course not. But, but, that's, but as I've gotten older – you know, I've realized that's the deal. That's how it is, you know, and frankly, you know, look at how we all act in our, in our professional lives. Look, if there, uh, if, if someone offers a much better, people leave in our business all the time, yeah. whether it's comedy, you know, whether it's news, whether it's TV or whatever, people leave and change jobs all the time. The, the, those adults aren't too much different than our adults, you yeah. know? What about, like, uh, Ainge getting rid of Kendrick Perkins? That's another example. He's like, I don't give a shit if this guy's your best friend. We can get Jeff Green for him. I have him valued slightly yeah. higher than that. But that kind, well, of, that kind of trade can end up backfiring. Like, it's almost like he yeah. doesn't really consider team chemistry as a factor. Because it, it truly is. How, I mean, how much team chemistry did Kobe and Shaq have? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm serious. Like, team chemistry is one of those overblown things that doesn't matter. You know, you know what wins? Uh, talent wins. Michael Jordan did not have. Michael Jordan was punching his teammates in the face, and you know what I mean. Like, like, you know, Kevin Garnett punches his has punched his teammates in the face. You know, and 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 you can't. I think team chemistry is one of those very very overblown things that is unquantifiable, whereas talent is quantifiable. In, in answer to your question about Kendrick Perkins, the thing about it, I mean, look, I actually liked the deal at the time. Kendrick Perkins, who I loved as a Celtic, you know, great defensive player, good shot blocker, good rebounder, but was a fairly limited player. Um, and then, you know, and Jeff Green wasn't. You know, um, Jeff Green, who I think has had a better career than people will give him credit for. Jeff Green's athletic. He, you know, can create his own shot. I, I, you know, he, 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 
You know, he's a playmaker in the way Kendrick Perkins wasn't. So that trade never bothered me. The Isaiah Thomas was the one where I was like, oh, this one, this one hurts. <laughs> this one feels... This one feels this one feels bad. That one I mean, is like the, guy, the ultimate fucking fuck you villain moment where it's like the guy gave his all, played through his sister's tragedy, and he's like, sorry, I gotta the, get Kyrie. The guy's sister dies. I mean, he, he Isaiah Thomas goes out and drops fifty in the playoffs, you know, yeah. and then Danny Ains turns around and trades him for Kyrie Irving, who's refusing to show up to hit who was refusing to show up to play with the best player in the world. Yeah. You can imagine how that must have gone over with Celtics fans. <laughs> but it's not a trade that anybody regrets today. Right. That's exactly right. In fact, I mean, it, it, it's kind of crazy. In the offseason when Isaiah Thomas said, yeah, you know, I told Danny that I'd be willing to come back now. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, it goes to show you how, I mean, Isaiah Thomas was in line for a close to max deal, if not a max deal. Now he's getting and, a veteran minimum. Now he's getting a bit minimum, yeah. Um, what about your thoughts on the Fultz trade when it happened? Did you want Markel? Yeah, I did. This is why I am not the GM of a team. <laughs> yeah. At what point do you stop questioning Danny Age and you're like, all right, I had enough trades where I didn't agree with him and they turned out great? Um, yeah, I think, I think it was the Tatum Fultz. No, I, the Nets deal. The Nets deal was the one where I was like, um, when I saw the results of that, where I was like, okay, well, you know, this is the most lopsided NBA trade in history. In history. Okay. At the time it happened, I was like, really? This is all we get for Pierce and KG? This is all we get? <laughs> Ever since then, I have, I, I'll never, I'll never, Danny Ainge could trade, uh, you know, could trade Kyrie Irving for like, you know, a sign and trade for Jordan Crawford. And I would not, I wouldn't question it. I'd be, yeah, no, that makes sense. He has his reasons. <laughs> Hashtag basketball reasons. It's a lot yeah, like, right. are you a football fan at all? Not really, no. It's a lot like uh, when your favorite team drafts like an offensive lineman, you're like, yeah, I guess that's important, but it's not exciting. But like, those are the guys that <laughs> yeah, win championships. Right. So they're like, don't worry, right. we're getting four draft picks in the next six years. Like, I don't give a shit about draft picks. I want superstars until you're drafting right. those guys. <laughs> right. like, these guys are great. Thank God we have these draft picks. Well, what I love about basketball is that it's one of the few sports, probably the only one, where the offseason and is almost, if not more, interesting than the actual gameplay. Yeah, the, tam- the, the, the hours in between the games are more exciting than the actual games. Totally. Between the trades... Um, the tweets. The amount of... The tweets, the Instagram, you know, kind of trash-talking. Yeah. I mean, Who likes this comment? Yeah, right. There's, there's just way... There's a lot of off-the-court stuff that is way more interesting than, like, you know, a mid-season, you know, Suns... Uh, Pistons game or something. Yeah, and I don't know when it happened. Like growing up, I was watch. I got into basketball roughly when you did the early '90s, and it was just the games. You watch the games and who won the games and who lost the games, and then if your team wins, you're happy. Now it's like not only who won the games. That's just like the little tent poles between these uh, dramatic moments in between the games. Afterwards, the post game show, the pre game show. What do they wear? What are they saying? What do they tweet? Who liked whose comment on Instagram and what it means for trade purposes? It's like a 24-7 um, reality show. I think that started... Well, I mean, I think the NBA is particularly amenable to that in the social media era because its stars are most identifiable, right? I mean, in that, you know, when you go to games, you're close to the court. Yeah. Right? Um, they're naked. They're yelling at you. They're naked. You can hear they're them. They're not... Right. They're not wearing helmets. not wearing pads. Um, and on top of that, one player makes so much more of an impact in a basketball game 
than an offensive lineman does in a football game. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, and let me tell I mean, I don't know about you, if Aaron Judge walked into a bar right now that you were at, would you recognize him? Well, I would say, holy shit, that's Aaron Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I just no, equate I mean, every athlete with who their closest basketball comp is. Right. Like, yeah. honestly, if, if, uh, if um, you know, Mike Trout walked into my, if Mike Trout walked up to me in my room and introduced himself as Mike Trout, I would say, I don't know who you are. I don't like <laughs> You have to leave my house. I don't know. Who gave you the key? <laughs> this strange, this strange average, average height person has come into my bedroom. <laughs> I guess the doorman's an Angels fan or some shit. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. Uh, all right, so let's let's talk about current Celtics. I don't want to get too into strategy or why, but like they're eleven and ten right now. You're talking about expectations this year versus last year. Uh, eleven and ten last year might have been fine, but now that Kyrie is back, Hayward is back, they got that pick. Did you have higher hopes? Did you have higher expectations? Uh, certainly. I mean, look, I am utterly baffled. I have no idea. Usually, you can point to certain things and say, "Okay, uh, this is not working. So and so is hurt." Uh, this and that, but I can't. I have no idea. Um, if you look, I mean, are there are there certain players that simply have been terrible or have not been that good? Yeah, sure, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, but there's still five or six other guys in the roster. Kyrie's playing some of the best ball of his life. Um, you know, Tatum is playing reasonably well over the last month or so. I, I don't know. I, I could not tell you what is going on, especially because the team's defense is very good. Yeah. They're one of the best defenses. I couldn't tell you. You know what it um, is. It's the it's the thing that you said that you don't value at all. It's the chemistry. That's oh. right. It's coming back to bite you in the butt already. The thing oh, that you consider it. is not important. This team's not playing with joy. No. <laughs> uh, but why are they playing with joy on the defensive end? Because <laughs> it's fun to block shots. Oh, but it's fun. To, it's fun. To, it's fun to hit shots too. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. Uh, so uh, when when Brad no, Stevens I, you know, says, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it, they just they don't get their open shots haven't been falling, and when their open shots aren't falling, they don't have another way to score. Yeah, you know, they're not they go to the rim. You know, they don't they don't attack the bu- bucket enough, and that's changed a little bit in recent games. But but really, I, but other than that, it really is very baffling what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you expect it to turn around when you have the, this much talent and you have a good coach. You expect it to turn around. Um, they had a nice win against the Pelicans on the road. Yeah, that's um, the thing. They're winning their big games, so you can't be completely like annoyed, baffled, uh, and disappointed as a Celtics fan yet. Because you're like, all right, it's in you to beat the Raptors. It's in you to beat the Pelicans in New Orleans. For whatever reason, you can't replicate it against shitty teams. Right, because at the same time, you know, uh, you know, yes, they, got, they lost to the Knicks by a lot. In the earlier game this season where they played the Knicks, it took a Jason Tatum, you know, late game, late game winner to beat the Knicks. I yeah. mean, that's, that's, I mean it's, totally, it's totally baffling. I mean, um, they needed a huge comeback against the Suns to beat the Suns. And- <laughs> <laughs> a team I mean, that's actively trying to lose. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. I mean it's not been good. Um, there have been some encouraging signs. Uh, I'm I'm encouraged, um, but I'm also just also pie in the sky, Homer. So you know yeah. who knows. I remember when this season started, they were like almost even money to win the East because you know ever the narrative was we got to Game Seven without our best two players. Now LeBron's gone. We're getting these two players. Um, I can't see a world where anybody dethrones us. They're now four to one just to win the East. So who from the top uh, four, Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Indiana, let's say, scares you the most as a Celtics fan? 
You know, this is another thing about fan expectation, right? So after watching the first 19, 20 games, I'm watching the Pelicans game last night, and I am, I'm now at that point where the Celtics, I expect the Celtics to lose every single game. Wow. Whereas last year, I expected them to win every single game. Where every, every single game that they won last year, you know, it was like, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is awesome. They're winning, and they're continuing to win. Um, it was a surprise in that you don't expect them to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they played in a way that they expect they expected to win. Yeah. Whereas now it feels like watching this team, they expect to lose. You know, yeah. the body language isn't great. The the they're kind of drooping their heads a little bit, and getting frustrated. Um, of those, t- but that characteristic, you certainly don't see that in Toronto with Kawhi. You don't see that in Milwaukee with Giannis. Um, you know, Indiana and Philly. Now, Philly's had some issues this year. Um, for what it's worth, obviously the Markel thing was kind of strange, um, and I think the trade for Jimmy Butler was a great, great deal for them. Yeah, I, I really. I mean, I think they're going to have some spacing issues, but again, I think talent wins in this league, and Jimmy Butler is a talent, um, and they have a bunch of great pieces there. So, of those teams, what's, who scares me the most? Toronto, because they have the best player with Kawhi. Tor- oh, um, you, th- you think he's a better player than Giannis or Embiid? Yeah, I mean, uh, now that might not be the case a year or two from now, uh, but we forget how good Kawhi is, right? Because he didn't play last year, and he didn't really, and he got hurt the year before. Yeah. Kawhi was a top, was a a universally agreed on top five player, you know, before he got hurt. Yeah, I think it was um, like number two MVP voting one year. Right, and so I, I think Kawhi is the best player out of that bunch, not by much, but again, Toronto also has a lot more depth than Milwaukee does. You know, I think Kyle Lowry is a top-flight point guard. You know, they have a lot of good pieces there. Van Fleet. I mean, and by the way, Danny Green has been under the radar, but an incredible pickup for Toronto in that Kawhi deal. Yeah. Um, and whereas with Milwaukee, I really like Middleton. I like Brogdon. Obviously, Giannis is a, you know, probably a top five, if not a top three player right now. Uh, I, I just, I just don't know if the depth is going to be there. You know, to take the Eastern Conference Finals or, you know, something like that. Uh, it's interesting because if the Celtics do win a championship this year, they'd have to beat two of those three teams, Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee, and then also the, the Warriors. So it seems like such a tall order, uh, at least this year. Uh, yes, but that's the case for that's the case for any of the teams, right? Like for Philly to win, they have to knock off Toronto, set Boston, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's the case for any, any, any team. I mean, and, and look, any team that wants to win a championship has to go through the Warriors and they get to Marcus Cousins back after Christmas. <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's probably fair. You know, they deserve the fifth all-star. They need that yeah. power center. They need another first team NBA player. I feel bad for the Warriors. They're struggling at 12. And right. And, and and what the Warriors have done for me as a fan is that I no longer watch the sport with uh, with the winner in mind. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, it's not about like, the season finale, basically. No, yeah, not you can anymore. enjoy the ride. Like, yeah, whereas the NBA used to be a league that really cared about championships. How many rings? Jordan has six rings. Kobe yeah. is five. Yeah, you know, Larry Bird is you. Know, it, I, the league, I think, is shifting away from that, and that, I think, is a good thing because we can reassess legacies of certain players like Carmelo Anthony, Steve Nash, and, you know, so, you know, all, all these, you know, the Vince Carters of the world, you know, players that are Hall of Fame, should be first ballot Hall of Famers, but have kind of had this ding, ding in their resumes for not having a championship. Whereas, look, no one is, I mean, 
Kevin Durant has two championships now with the Warriors, and he still doesn't have the respect that you know other top players with multiple rings have. No, zero respect. Yeah, they and just. I mean, I mean heck, <laughs> his own teammates. His own teammates. <laughs> it's like saying Neil Armstrong didn't get to the moon. The Rocket did. You just attached yourself <laughs> to a great team. <laughs> Neil Armstrong's also a snake. Yeah, right. But like, they, really, it's really like it's really like Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Like that. You know, <laughs> he's the third guy. Actually, nobody knows the third guy, so maybe it's more like the third guy and Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, they already have. The uh, I think Brothers. I know the third guy. Is it? Um, I want to say something like Michael Powell. I think Michael was the Collins. Mike Collins. Collins. That's it. Collins. Michael Collins. That's who it is. <laughs> Zach you. Collins. That's who it is. Zach Collins, second year player oh, at really? Gonzaga. No, no, no. Yeah. Mike Collins is the astronaut. Uh, right. So, what's the uh, what's the roadmap to the Celtics winning a championship? Not this year, but let's say in two or three years. Who are we trading? What do we got to do? We got to group some of these youngsters together and get a superstar, right? Because I'm looking at Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee. The Celtics play these guys in a best of seven. They don't have the best player on the court. That can't be good for them. Um, I would, I would push back. I, I mean, I would say within two or three years. I mean, Tatum's going to be, you know, at that. I, I think he's going to be at the level of, I think he'll be in the top 10, top 20 level. Yeah, top, tw- top 20 maybe, but Philly has Embiid, Toronto has Kawhi, yeah, Milwaukee okay. has Giannis. These are like top five NBA players. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that, I mean, in theory, honestly, I don't need, to, I don't think they need to make many moves right now because they have all these draft picks. Look, the, the only move that's really going to be available for them to make, in theory, is going to be Anthony Davis. Yeah. Right? And am I trading uh, Tatum and Picks and Marcus Smart and whatever for Anthony Davis? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I mean, who who is the other star that's going to be available that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, right for the Celtics chase after? I don't know. You know, it depends on who's, who's, who's you know, available on the market. And you're not going to trade Kyrie Irving for, you know, you're probably you can maybe trade Al Horford, but who's going to trade for him in that contract right now? Yeah. So well, what you can do is re-sign Al Horford at a, at a reasonable contract and, and a discount. Um, I don't. I don't. You know, the answer is you just you just you just don't know. But you can gamble on your draft picks. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some interest there. I'm sure there's going to be some interest in Jalen Brown. Um, but I, I listen. I'm again being a homer here, but I still think the Celtics, as they're constituted right now. They're gonna have they're gonna have a championship run in them one of these years, if not this year, then next year or the year after. Because they also have you know in in kind of in development they have Robert Williams, you know who's the high flying big man that uh, that they drafted, who a lot of people felt should have been should have been picked much earlier, and I think in the next year or two he'll be ready to make an impact. So that's that's I don't think the Celtics need to kind of go back to the drawing board. I don't think there's many moves for them to make even if they wanted to. Um, I also don't think they need to either. I think Anthony Davis is like so high on Boston's mind and the Lakers' mind. This is almost like a separate league that's happening. It's like, we all know who's going to win the championship. I want to know who's going to win the Anthony Davis sweepstakes because the Pelicans keep losing and that uh, free agency in 2020, whenever it is, the end of next year is looming. And it's going to be very soon when Anthony Davis makes his little statement or leaks his little message to the media that he's not signing an extension with the Pelicans. And they're going to be racing to get the best deal they can for this player who might be the best player for the next seven years. Yeah, I mean, and we also assume here, we have an assumption here that um, Anthony Davis wants to leave New Orleans. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I am assuming that, yeah. 
because, I mean, you know, Kevin Garnett did not want to leave Minnesota. He really didn't. And he tried it. He said that never many times he would not approve a trade to the Celtics. It wasn't until a lot of prodding and once the Celtics traded for Ray Allen that Kevin Garnett was finally willing to leave Minnesota. So we don't actually know if Anthony Davis wants to leave. That's the first thing. Second of all, there's always the chance that the Pelicans land another big star in the next year. And suddenly, you know, Anthony Davis looks at the franchise differently. Uh, and this happened with Oklahoma, right, where everyone assumed that Paul George was going to leave the Thunder and go to L.A., and he didn't. He stuck around. So, yes, it's obviously, I'm sure the Pelicans front office, their phones are ringing off the hook. But, I mean, Anthony Davis might genuinely like the franchise and want to stay there. Yeah, but the whole Rich Paul clutch connection thing, it just feels like the writing's on the wall. The more people talk about it, the more it like speaks it into existence that uh, either Durant's leaving this year, Anthony Davis is leaving the year after that. And it, for me, it feels like an L.A. versus Boston thing all over again, because I don't know who else has the assets between young players, draft picks, and established players to trade for him. Yeah, and if this comes down to a free agency thing, Boston is at a disadvantage. I mean, the Lakers have the palm, you know, they have the palm trees, they have the weather, they've got LeBron. I mean, the the although I mean, and I know there's been some chatter about whether top stars want to play, play next to LeBron. Yeah, but uh, but at the end of the day, if it comes down to a free agency race, I mean, LA has the advantage, especially for a winter sport. Yeah, what is the what is the last big Celtics free agent signing? I guess Hayward and Horford, right? Hayward and Horford, but before that, it was a long time. I, th- I want to say it was um, Dominique Wilkins in the mid nineties. <laughs> oh, no, wow. I'm serious. Wow, I think it was Dominique Wilkins in the in the mid nineties. Uh, you know, and he, I mean, he he played okay. I mean, he wasn't you know, uh, but you know, he wasn't Dominique. No, of course not. Um, do you hate the Lakers? Um, it's okay. You can tell me. No, no, no. It's not. I, I'm trying to think of that. No, I don't actually. I did in the kind of two thousand nine, two thousand ten era. Yeah, you know? the Kobe, the Kobe Powell versus KG. Yeah, um, and I actually, and I, I will, I will. The Celtics and Lakers have not both been at the same level aside from two thousand eight to two thousand ten. So I haven't Since really grown up. Right, it, it, right, that's right. And and I didn't really grow up with that kind of rivalry mentality because we were never real real rivals. Um, for me, like the rivals that the Celtics had when they were any semblance of good were like the Nets, the Jason Kidd Nets with Byron <laughs> yeah. Scott as coach. Yeah. You know, um, you know, even recently, you know, I guess Philly, you know, um, there are players that I don't I don't really like that much. You know, generally, but I don't. But in terms of teams, I I actually, you know, the funny thing is, I actually enjoy watching the Lakers. I think they have a very watchable team. I think Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, you know, Josh Hart, those guys are fun to. And you know what? There's probably not a bigger booster in the world of Javale McGee than myself. <laughs> he's fact, great. He's been playing so good this year, and he's been playing well for a couple of years. And he got a bad rap for you know for. You know that was undeserved, I think. Yeah. And to see to see him playing well as a starter on a team that's probably going to the playoffs, if not going to be in top four in the West, wow. and seeing him make you know seeing him make substantial contributions, smart plays, 
good defense, protecting the rim, the, the kind of stuff that other players get credit for that JaVale McGee never really did. Yeah. To see him doing that now is real joy to watch. So I've never actually hated the Lakers. Um, and, they, and also the roster is very likable. <laughs> it's not like the what kind of Celtics fan are you, man? Come on! But it's not it's not like the Kobe and Shaq days, you know. Like right. the Kobe and Shaq days, it wasn't a likable roster. You know, Robert Ory's body slamming Steve Nash in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, hey, he was not in the Lakers Bryant, then. Great, Kobe Bryant. Right, true. That's right. Kobe <laughs> Bryant is like Kobe Bryant is probably the most unlikable big superstar the NBA has ever had. Interesting. I mean, I can't. I mean, can you think of one who was more disliked or kind um, of more polarizing? More polarizing. Superstar. What about Michael Jordan? People didn't seem to like that guy. Everyone thought he was an asshole. I guess fans loved him. Sure. I mean, okay. I mean, sure. Jordan. I mean, uh, but Jordan had a degree of reverence in the 90s that Kobe never came close to. Yeah. You know? What about I mean, LeBron Kobe's- when he went to Miami? Um... Yeah, but it wasn't. Yes, he did receive a lot of revulsion for that. But at the end of the day, like it was about, it was about a charity special on TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like where Kobe was something way deeper than that. It why was way. Hate, why did you hate okay. Kobe? Well, let's start with this. I, I mean, obviously the 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 trial obviously was a big, you know, that wasn't kind of the prime of my sports fandom. And then seeing that was just like, I mean, if you remember that Phil Jackson book that he wrote on the 2004 season. Yeah, The Last I mean, the Dance. Stuff he wrote, the, the last, if you read that book, I mean, the stuff his own coach was saying about him in that book. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he wrote, and I, I don't remember the book, I haven't read it in like, you know, 10 years, but I remember him writing in that book, like, that he wasn't surprised that this happened. That the, And I'm like, wait a minute, you are writing about, you know, you're you're writing about your your own player, and you're not surprised that they got accused of rape. I mean, think about what kind of you know what kind of like unluckability you must have at that point. You yeah. know what I mean? And then, um, and then, um, uh, you know, plus the you know uh, you know Bynum should be shipped out. I thought he really swung down when he went after Smush Parker all those times. I'm like, <laughs> you're a Smush apologist. I, I listen <laughs> so here. Smush, here's what Smush said yeah. about the whole thing, and yeah. I always respected that. He said, Co- "I was in the league. I made it. I was on the team. My name was on the jersey. Like I made it. You know. No, I wasn't as good as Kobe Bryant, but I, essentially, if I recall correctly, he said I made it. You know. And Kobe should have respected the fact that I made it. And once you're in the league, you're in the league. You know. And I always I thought that was a good point. It's like, yeah." You're even the twelfth guy on an NBA team on the worst NBA team is still one of the best players in the world, you know. And so to see to hear like Kobe like constantly using him as a punching bag in public, like that wasn't like that didn't seem cool to me. You know, plus the you know publicly like you know shipping out Bynum, you ship out Bynum, like get rid of him. (laughs) Yeah, the public trade. I mean, those those are those are things that made him inherently unlikable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to hear the outsider perspective because, like, growing up in L.A. from, you know, 96 to 2016, he was kind of like a, a local legend, a hero, a living legend, I should say. And uh, we we didn't have anything bad to say about him because, like, we we rode with him. We, he was our guy. And when it was Kobe versus Shaq, we shipped Shaq out and we won two more titles. Uh, he was the only Laker that I think was a bigger Laker fan than me. Like, he refused to quit so like we as growing up as a laker fan always adored kobe i mean let's not forget in three in at least three of those rings 
Kobe Bryant was not the best player on the team. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. That also partially was like what I think what caused so much dislike of Kobe Bryant is that he, like, he, 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 Michael Jordan got, got so much reverence because there was no question that he is not only one of, he was not only the best player on the team, he was also one of the greatest players of all time. Whereas with Kobe, it's like, I mean, he wasn't, he was the second best player on those, on that three peat. That's right. You're not you know, getting you're not getting any pushback from me on that. Shaq was the best player on the team, three time Finals MVP. I, and I don't mean to be petty. There was also that six for twenty four in Game Seven against the Celtics. <laughs> uh, just bringing us back to twenty thirteen to wrap things up. Is there something like do you do you kind of miss that the the rebuild? Do you miss the teams that were going twenty five and fifty seven just because of the amount of optimism was there versus the expect high expectations of this year? No. I mean, you always want you always prefer your team to be good than bad. Um, a tre- when when you're when you have low expectations and your team is meeting those low expectations, that's not a fun experience. Even if there is like a lot of hope, like it's not fun to be a Phoenix Suns fan right now. <laughs> Even though there's a lot of hope, no, it's not though, right? Like Devin Booker is, you know, I think an excellent player. You know, one of the best scorers in the league. But it's not fun to watch a four and seventeen team or whatever they are. It's just it's just not. You don't you don't like as a fan. Well, what's the point of tuning in if you know your team's going to lose every single night? Other than you know you watch the development of young players, blah blah blah. blah. But I it, I don't think it's fun to watch a bad team. But I, mean, I will it's, say it's more fun watching the Suns than being like a Wizards fan, where you're like, uh oh, this is it. We rebuilt. We're here and we're stuck. Yeah. Okay. I mean, given the chance of the two the 2013 Celtics or the 2018 Wizards, give me the 2013 Celtics because. <laughs> Because, I mean, the Wizards have this problem where they don't seem to like playing with each other. They don't seem to play. I mean, and I know I just said team chemistry is overrated, but the wins and losses here kind of speak to that, right? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, they don't seem to like playing with each other. And on top of that, their expectations were much higher. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't think it's fun to be a Wizards fan, but it hasn't. I feel like, has it ever been fun to be a Wizards fan? (laughs) That's a good question. I think they won 60 games or something in like 2004. When like Gilbert Arenas was at the height of his power, maybe that was the most fun to be a Wizards fan, right? And I don't even think they did they get out of the first round. So that's a good question. Didn't they lose to the the Le, that LeBron like twenty seven points in a row? I thought that was a second round game versus. Desha- and Deshaun I mean, Stevenson. I think because I think that was when Deshaun Stevenson was decided to beef with LeBron and 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 you know kind of woke the beast there. Yeah, we have him to thank. Deshaun Stevenson yeah, right. kind of became Lance Stevenson. I, I never realized that they were kind of the same human until now when they also have the same last name. These are the kind of revelations that I hope your podcast listeners appreciate. <laughs> I have to end on that because I don't think we're going to get a bigger groundbreaking moment than Deshaun and Lance being the Stevenson brothers, same player, 10 years apart. Uh, convince me that they're two different people. Uh, is there anything left that we didn't cover? I wanted to get to everything. Is there anything that you haven't mentioned about the Celtics that you've been wanting to get off your chest? A player that you secretly dislike, secretly like? Uh, secretly dislike. Um, Who's your least favorite Celtic right now? Right. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I, I'm not going to react out of out of anger, but I will say this. Here's what I will say. Ooh. This is uh, about Gordon Hayward, isn't it? I knew it. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. I will say, and I like him a lot. Uh-oh. Uh, it's just in the middle of a game, it infuriates me. Yep. Every time I see Marcus Smart shoot like two for nine from three, and he comes down on the break and pulls up for a 25-foot <laughs> three-pointer with 20 seconds left on the shot clock, and meanwhile, he's shooting like 25% from three on the year, that 
that makes me put my want to put my head through a window. Yeah, that's Very a good nice. one. It's tough because these players are there because they have irrational confidence. These are players Fresh. like if I was shooting as bad as Marcus Smart for two weeks, I would quit basketball and try to pursue a different career. But that's why they're professional basketball players. They have to shoot their way out of these slumps, and they just they think that every shot they shoot is probably going to go in. <laughs> I have that confidence, just like in everything else that I do. <laughs> uh, so, Pan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Uh, is there anything you want to promote? One last uh, Twitter shout out, Instagram, New York Times. Where can people read more? Uh, just if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Sopan Deb, and yeah, subscribe to the Times. Subscribe to the Times. They need us now more than ever. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. Thank you, sir. And to everybody listening at home, we'll be back next week. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>